You're listening to the Ignite Sessions podcast, hosted by Virginia Tech Chi Alpha. Our hope for this podcast is to encourage listeners to pursue God's kingdom and His righteousness. We hope you're blessed by today's episode. In this last section this morning, I want to talk about the fact that when God wanted to give one of the greatest victories in the Old Testament, He couldn't use a warrior. He had to use a worshiper. And uh, we're going to look at David. You can turn in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now I'm just going to read a few verses from probably if we took a, a straw poll here and said all the guys in the room, what's your favorite Old Testament story? And you're going, David and Goliath would definitely have to be up there. Every guy in the room was ready to act it out when we had it in children's church or Sunday school when I was growing up. But I think there's a few of our female colleagues here who might feel the same way. There's something powerful about the idea that the underdog wins. We like that. But in this case, the stakes were high. And yet, God chose the least likely candidate to do the great act. So let's read, uh, beginning with verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, this is Goliath the giant, you come with me to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. Let's stop there for a moment. In 1647, a group of devout ministers got together in the famous Westminster Chapel in London, and they asked the question, what is the chief purpose of man? And they wrote a confessional statement that you probably have heard before. The chief purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's why you were created. That's why when we come and we worship, we don't want to leave because we're in alignment with the very thing we were created for. Suddenly, everything in us is moving according to the created design for us, and we don't want to leave that spot. But the reality is, you're getting in the cars in a few moments, you're going back to a statistics test. I saw two guys super dedicated. It was freezing cold. They're sitting outside studying together. You're going back to challenges. You're going back to the the circumstances didn't change while you were here this weekend, but you changed. And this is what worship does. You see, David in this story was not invited to this battle. If you read the entirety of the story, you will discover He was still taking care of sheep. Now, I want you to understand something. The chronology here is very important. He's already been anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the king. But his dad tells him to go back and take care of the sheep. And there's some of you that may have a sense of calling here and no one's asking you to step into it. There's a timing to everything. 
Be patient. Because if God opens the door, no one's going to shut it. But if you're banging on it, we'll all remember you as a pain in the neck. That's the reality. Every time I've been impatient with God, I've regretted it. And every time I've waited on Him, I've relished it. Because everyone says, this is not Glenn Smith, this is God. David was asked to go to the scene of the battle. And he, just as he arrives, he's bringing cheese. You can read the inventory list. It's in the story here. He's bringing all, there's nothing heroic about what he's doing. He shows up, though, at a moment. And in this story, what is staggering is that Saul with his army, and it's a celebrated army. If you read the history of Israel, warfare was a very big thing back then. And he was known as the great champion when fighting the Philistines. That's what he even, when he died, the Philistines started celebrating. They said, finally, we're rid of this, this arch rival. That's how potent he was as a military commander. And his men were that way. And yet all of them are standing along this ravine near Jerusalem on a hillside. And all of these mighty men are looking at one man, Goliath. True, he was seven feet tall. True, he was a seasoned warrior. But he's one man. And this is an entire army. And yet the Bible says in verse 24 that the army wanted to flee from one man. Now, this is the dilemma of human nature. We can get fired up in here, then we can go back to our campus, and then we get hit over the head by something, and there's that flight instinct in us if we're not careful. I've watched come out of meetings like this on, in many countries, and everyone's like, we're going to go back, we're going to see God move. And then the first problem, the first phone call, the first text the first knock on the door, and suddenly we're back into self-preservation instead of what we've been doing here for a day and a half, worshiping. We sang a chorus that is taken from the biblical image in Psalm 22:3: Be enthroned on the praises of your people, O God. That is the image that should be resonating inside of us because before you were called to be a life group member, before you were called to be a CMIT intern, before you were called to be a Chi Alpha leader or a missionary or whatever else in life God feels you feel a call on your life to be, before you were called to be that, you were designed to be a worshiper. You see, what you're calling is an act of obedience. Your worship is a function of design. You were designed to worship God. You were designed to love His presence. You were designed to say, let me run to the front. Let me raise my hands in adoration to the King. This is what He made me for. And let me tell you, if you don't like this, heaven's going to be a lot of drudgery for you because when we get to heaven, it's going to be the biggest worship service you've ever seen. Angels are going to be singing. Elders are going to be falling down and casting crowns. And you're going to see apostles and prophets and missionaries and pastors and deacons. And all of them are going to be saying, I'm not looking at you. I'm not looking at this. I'm looking at the, the Lamb of God who sits on the throne. That's what we're going to be looking at. We are designed to worship God. And when sin came into this world, God said, wait a minute, I didn't make them to sit in brokenness. I made them to praise me. And that's why Jesus came. That's why you and I are here. But I want you to understand this. The life of a worshiper has to go through challenges. 
When David said, wait a minute, this one guy, I don't believe this. He didn't personalize the challenge of Goliath. This is an important point for us to keep in mind. He didn't say, oh, you've offended me. It wasn't about Goliath offending David. Who's David? David's a delivery boy in the story. But when you worship God, you're, wait a minute, are you taunting the maker of heaven and earth? I can't tolerate that now. You can make fun of me, and I'm going to have to live with it and move on, but you can't make fun of my God. You can't claim territory that belongs to him. And so he says, what's going on here? But this is what the Bible tells us in verse 24. His brother Eliab, instead of coming alongside David, are you, sure? are you ready? Okay, we're behind you, bro. He's not saying that. He's saying he mocks him. He mocks him. I'm sure he's thinking, listen, we've been through boot camp. We've been through training. You don't even have a sword. You don't have armor. All you've got is a slingshot. You don't have any expertise in fighting. And you want to go out against the most potent soldier that walks the soil of this country right now? His own brother mocks him. He goes to King Saul. King Saul should have been the one fighting, maybe. The Bible said he was head and shoulders taller than any other man in Israel. That's why they wanted him as a king. And all of a sudden, he's like, I can't go out there. This is beyond me. I'm overwhelmed. You ever hear the word overwhelmed these days? That's not the word of a worshiper. I mean, if I get overwhelmed, it's a real feeling. I'm not denying the reality of it. But I go to the feet of the one who has overcome. And I find peace. I find encouragement. But you see, here's an army preparing for defeat. But there's one worshiper preparing for victory. You see the difference worship makes in our lives? He goes to King Saul. King Saul says, okay, wait a minute. If you're going to go do this, you got to do it right. Put on this heavy armor. He's just a teenager. He's putting on heavy armor. He can barely get moving around. He said, I'm not used to this. You see, you have to go with what you're used to. What was David used to that was different from the army? What David was used to, one time I was doing what I was supposed to do. I was taking care of sheep, and a bear came, and God delivered me from the bear, and a lion came, and God delivered me from the lion. You see, life is the laboratory where we learn how to worship. Your life group is a laboratory. Your apartment, your dormitory is a laboratory. The classroom is a laboratory. And sometimes we want to blow through that and get to ignite when God's saying, wait a minute, I'm speaking here too. I've created you to worship me in this space. I've created you to stand for me in this environment. And understand this, there will come times, if it hasn't happened already, that your own family will mock you. Your own people whom you think should stand behind you will doubt you. And then you go out and you face the giant, and the giant, in my translation, said he disdained David. He said, what am I, a dog that you send this little boy out to fight me? You've got doubters and mockers behind you, and you've got a scorner in front of you who has a pedigree for succeeding on the battlefield. And the only difference between David and all those men who had lost courage is not training. It's worship. 
as we prepare to go back to our campuses, we said this last night, worship is the celebration of who God is in the reality of my life. That's what worship is. It's me saying life is hard right now. It's me saying my family is in a crisis right now. It's Paul and Silas, like we sang so beautifully, in a prison cell in Philippi, and they had a choice to make. They could say, how many wounds do you have? Oh, pray for my healing. Oh, do. No, they said, let's just raise our hands and worship God still. Yeah. There is something in the resiliency of a worshiper that cannot be replaced by psychology, counseling, drugs, or anything else, as important as those things may be. It's the fact that you suddenly align your life and your reality with the God of the universe who has saved you, who has redeemed you, who has filled you with the spirits. Some time ago, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he had served on a live dead team and he's still back in that country it's a sensitive country but he was telling me a story about one of their believers had been arrested by the authorities in that country and they decided if we can break this man maybe we can snuff out this thing God's doing and so they put him in prison but instead of putting him in a prison cell they put him in the bathroom of the prison now I have to tell you I've been to a few prison type things in Africa it's not the Sheraton Hotel it's rough he's down there with all the smells and with all the disease and with all of this and they leave him down there for day after day after day week after week down in that that pit in a prison cell and finally he gets out and my friend told us the story he went to him and and he said, I was so overwhelmed with joy and emotion. I'm crying. He said, I got tears and snot coming. I'm just crying. The guards are laughing at us. And I looked at my brother and I hugged him. And I said, I'm so sorry for what you went through. And my brother stopped me. He said, don't say that. Don't say you're sorry. Every night God met me in the bathroom of that prison. And it was the greatest time of my life. I don't care what your challenge is. Just let God put one foot in it and see what happens. This is why anxiety flees. This is why fear flees. Because when the truth of who God is and the reality that He lives inside of you starts to show up in your living space, things happen. Things change. So it is this morning as we prepare to walk out of here, have a baptism, get in our cars, go back to our campuses full of the Holy Spirit, determined that the reality we shared here is going to become the reality on our campuses. I want to just tell you these two things very quickly that worship will do in your life. The first one is this. Worship moves us from fear to faith. The soldiers are looking at ability and David is looking at God. David said, your servant was tending his sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued him from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard. I've been around lions in Tanzania. That's not what I was thinking of doing when I saw them, okay? It's not a natural reaction. But when a worshiper is in alignment with a supernatural God, supernatural things happen. 
Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the living God. It's not about me. It's about him. Hear the words of a man who had no doubt. He was the only man who had no doubt. He was the only one standing in confidence. And it had nothing to do with his training. He didn't have any training. He only had life to speak to him. And maybe you're here right now and you say, I really don't want to leave here because I know what I'm going back to. I want you to understand something. Go back as a worshiper. Go back as someone who will walk right back into that mess you left two days ago and say, I brought someone with me this time. I brought the awareness of the presence of the living God with me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself up for us. Let that worship move you from fear to faith. The second thing I want to share with us as we prepare to to seal our time together today. Worship moves us from obedience to victory. You know, you can obey in what you think is the right thing to do. But there's a difference between simple obedience and drudgery and survival and thriving in God. There are some people who think when you get to heaven... God's going to give you a t-shirt, I survived planet earth. That's not what God has for you and me. You are more than conquerors is what we've quoted already this weekend. David didn't walk out there saying, excuse me, I know I'm young. I probably shouldn't be here. I don't even know how I got in this mess. But, but no one else would do it, so I do it. It's not some sense of duty that has him out there. It's worship that has him out there. You offended my God, and my God has proven himself faithful to me. And so I'm coming out here in the power of his name. I'm trusting that he's going to shake this campus, not me. No strategy has ever reached the Muslims of our world, but the Holy Spirit, living, breathing, burning inside of missionaries, has gone out and changed things. Tragedies of our world today, the heartbreak, the disappointment, the disillusionment, Now we have all these people saying, I want to know if what happened here really can survive on our campus. Bring it back to the campus. Let me see it in action. This is why persecution speaks so deeply to us when we hear about people who are in horrible situations that no one would volunteer for in the natural. But all of a sudden they find out they are able to walk through that and raise their hands and praise God and find out that there's peace in a storm, that there's stability in chaos. Because we're created to worship. We yearn for Jesus like the persecuted church yearns for Jesus. We thirst for God and it propels us to go and serve Him more. It's an intense longing. Show me your glory. We've sang that already. Let me tell you what. One second of God's glory would revolutionize any campus. I don't care how powerful the atheist society is on that campus. 
was worship that pushed Hudson Taylor to China. It was worship that took Amy Carmichael to India. It was worship that caused a man to, on a snowy day in London to walk into a service that the pastor couldn't even make it for because the weather was so bad. And a layman got up and he said, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm going to preach. And there sat Charles Spurgeon, whom historians tell us is probably the greatest preacher in all of England's history. He sits there. He accepts the Lord through a layman preaching, not someone who was trained because the Holy Spirit had a plan. Let's not limit what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The Holy Spirit is right now looking out here and saying, wow, I don't have one vessel I can use. I have 200 vessels I can use. Imagine what God can do when it's multiplied through hundreds of lives saying, I'll give it all for you, Jesus. I'm created to worship you. I'm created to stand before you. I'm created to see victory in my life. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. It may cost you a career. One of my favorite stories is about a pastor named Dimitrov who during, he ministered behind what used to be the Iron Curtain. And the leader said, this is the man that leads this house church that we want to destroy. And so we're going to take him and destroy him. They came one time, they said, if you keep preaching, we're going to come back and arrest you. Well, that's the, that's the challenge when you're a disciple. You can't shut down the good news. Okay? He said, well, hmm, all right. So he kept speaking, and one day they came and they took him. And they put him in the prison that was reserved for the hardest of criminals, murderers, sociopaths, and all of these kinds of guys. And they put him in that prison cell, and they didn't know that what they were putting in that prison was a worshiper. They thought they were putting a pastor in there, but there's a difference between a pastor and a pastor who is a worshiper. There's a difference between a student leader and a student leader filled with the Holy Spirit worshiping God. So he goes in that prison, and they didn't know he had this practice I don't know which way east is, so it's going to be here right now, okay? I don't want any geology major or anything telling me and correcting me, okay? So he bows down in the morning like he had done every morning to the east, and he sings this one worship song that he sang every morning to Jesus. It was his personal love song to Jesus. And that morning, that first morning when he did it, the jailers, they were like, what is that sound? And they come... They come careening into the prison cell. You will not worship God here. God doesn't exist here. They kick him, they beat him, and they leave him laying on the floor of that prison. And they say, that will not happen again in here. And the next morning, he gets up with a decision. Am I a prisoner or am I a worshiper? Am I someone full of anxiety or am I someone delivered like the beautiful testimony we heard here? Full of the vigor of the Holy Spirit. He got up again. It wasn't as easy. He may have had cracked ribs. Who knows? And he did the same thing and he bowed down and he sang his song. They came in again. They beat him again. The prisoners are angry. They're throwing refuse on him. And they're doing all kinds of ridiculing him. And this went on for day after day, month after month, year after year. Over 10 years. 
And they tried every tactic they knew. But I tell you something, a woman or a man on fire with the Holy Spirit is not coming to the battle with a sword or a javelin. They're coming in the name of the Lord. And there's a difference. And he kept doing this. And they kept beating him. They tried every tactic they knew. And finally one day they said, that's it. We give up on this guy. We're just going to kill him. And one day they announced it. They go to get him. Those prison guards started marching him down that prison to his execution. And to their utter astonishment, 1,600 hardened criminals all bowed on their knees. And they began to sing the worship song of Dimitrov, the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were so overwhelmed by this that they put him back in his prison. And then they released him to his family. Why? Because they made a mistake and they imprisoned a worshiper. And so what are we going to do when we leave here? I've put some applications and we can call that screen up if you have it. I want us to conclude our time this morning with four things God dropped in my heart. As we go back, some of us to Zanzibar, some of us to Blacksburg, to Huntington, to Radford campus, wherever we may go, here is what we can do to apply what God has done at the altar during our time. First is we can remember all that has, God has done whenever we are faced with anxiety or fear. You see, the one secret to a vibrant, vibrant follower of Jesus is that circumstances cannot rob her or him of their memory. In the Old Testament, when the people of God were perplexed, what in the world are we going to do? The prophet would stand up, thus saith the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Hundreds of years ago, I was faithful. I parted a Red Sea. I came down on a mountain. I delivered you from your enemies. I didn't show up today. I've been here since eternity. I am the everlasting God. And so it is the next time you say, oh, there comes that feeling again. I thought it was over at the retreat. It is over in Jesus' name. Just begin to remember what God has done for you. Begin to worship Him. Begin to thank Him. The second thing is choose to worship regardless of our circumstances. If you need the right music to worship God, there needs to be a breakthrough for you. Philippians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I've been through heartache, and I've been through mountaintop experiences, and in every one of them I heard God say, give me thanks, give me thanks, give me thanks. I'm going to see you through. I'm going to give you a testimony. I often tell people everyone wants to say I saw a miracle, and no one wants to volunteer for the process it takes. I want to see a healing, but I don't want to be sick. I want to be delivered, but I don't want to be in bondage. I want to go through and say God is a financial provider, but don't make me walk through poverty. None of us want to go through what it takes to get to what it is. But this is the God we serve. And the way that you and I can be vibrant in the trials that are awaiting us when we get back to those campuses is to go back a worshiper. The third thing, develop a culture of worship. Wherever you go. Man, I would love to just hear reports of 
we were sitting in the coffee shop. We just felt like we needed to serve God and worship God right there. Don't hide it. Jesus said, you are like a city on a hill. You are like a light that cannot be put under a bushel. You need to go out and declare the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is what you were created for. This is what it means to be a worshiper. You don't have to practice it. You just have to live it. Everything we need in life is found when God walks in the room. Everything. So create the space. Because remember, when you worship, you celebrate who He is in the reality in which you are living. And so suddenly, that truth. The last thing is, build our lives around the goal of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. You may give a cup of cold water to someone, but when you give it in Jesus' name, it takes on spiritual significance. Feeding the hungry is a nice and compassionate thing to do, but feeding the hungry for the purpose of glorifying Jesus is a spiritual activity. We are more than humanitarians. We are more than people wanting justice. We are worshipers trying to bring reconciliation to a broken world. Does this make sense to everyone? So this is what we're going to do. We're going to stand up here at the end. Some people are going to brave the cold out there and get baptized in water, and we're going to support them in a moment, okay? But I want you just to stand up right now. And I want you to, um, you may need to shift a little bit physically, but I just want you to huddle up in a small group, and we're going to close out our time with a prayer of consecration, that we're going to do these four things that I just mentioned to you. Let me repeat them again. Remember all that God has done for you whenever you are faced with anxiety or fear. Go ahead and start huddling up into small clusters, okay? Remember all that God has done whenever you're faced with anxiety or fear. Secondly, choose to worship regardless of our circumstances. Three, develop a culture of worship wherever we go. Four, build our lives around the goal of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. Now, I want you to just start praying over each other. Don't go one by one. Just pray together over each other. This is the covenant we're going to make coming out of this retreat. We are going to leave as worshipers. Now, the Bible says that there was a time when the children of Israel were being attacked. And... The soldiers were afraid again. And then suddenly, the enemy heard a shout in the camp. You know what they said? They didn't say those people are getting fired up. They said God has shown up in their camp. And suddenly the enemy are afraid. I have no idea what's going to happen in the next week or the next month. But I know when God shows up, it's going to be great news in the end. Amen? I want to hear reports of revival breaking out at Virginia Tech and Radford and at Marshall. Lives that are transformed, set free. And so we're going to sing this chorus that's sort of become an unofficial theme song this weekend. We're going to trust God to rewrite history. You are not the person you were when you came. If God has touched you, He has touched a part of you that will forever be transformed. Stay under the blood of Jesus. 
Stay in the Word of God. Bow knee every day to the Bible and to the God of heaven before you do to a textbook. Put the King in charge and He'll take care of the rest. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory. But if you're not connected to Him, don't be upset if the supply chain is disrupted. Come on, we're worshipers. Your campus doesn't need people that are articulate. They need people full of God, full of peace. That's what they need. So let's sing this and know that I love you all. Thank you for tuning in to the Ignite Sessions podcast. To learn more about Virginia Tech Chi Alpha, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it using the hashtag TheIgniteSessions. We'll see you next time.